My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip, a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode, I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So, with no further ado, let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. We often neglect our pelvic floor until we are pregnant or develop symptoms that lead us to focus on our pelvic floor health. But actually, we should all be considering our pelvic floor as an integral part of our wellness. I'm so excited that Claire Bourne, a specialist pelvic health physiotherapist, is joining us today to talk us through why so many of us are doing our pelvic floor exercises incorrectly, some common symptoms and what we should be doing to improve our overall pelvic floor function. Claire has been a pelvic health physiotherapist for seven years and now works for Six Physio in London. She's a mum of two, currently on maternity leave, and is really passionate about providing evidence-based information to mums during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. Claire mirrors the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast ethos in that no woman should feel alone or experience its symptoms without support. So I'm immensely grateful that she is with us today sharing her knowledge and expertise. So welcome, Claire, and thank you so much for joining me because I know your family life at the moment is keeping you busy, it's safe to say. <laughs> That's definitely true. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. It's lovely to be here. Uh, but yeah, not twiddling thumbs, but um, yeah, juggling, learning to juggle two kids which is a new experience for sure yeah definitely and and in the current in a kind of environment yeah, with, with COVID yeah. as well definitely makes it hard yeah it's definitely not how I imagined my maternity leave to be but actually a really good friend of mine's had a baby we're now trying to like make sure that once a week we meet up get a coffee and feel like we're claiming back our maternity leave because it should be one coffee at a time <laughs> yeah absolutely I totally I totally agree I totally agree there's no such thing as too much coffee in my Never. life <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to our pelvic floor Claire we kind of hear that term banded around so much but what does it actually mean and what actually is it yeah and I think it's a great question because I think that's that's I think some of the problem with pelvic floor health is that you hit pregnancy and maybe your midwife says, okay, now you need to do your pelvic floor. And you're kind of smiling and nodding and thinking, oh yeah, okay. And but most of us just have no concept. And because it's not a muscle that you usually can sort of see the outward movement of, unless you kind of get a mirror and look at your vulva. But obviously if you, if you go to the gym and you, you can see your own body moving, it gives you that visual feedback where the pelvic floor is quite different. So 
essentially where the pelvic floor is, it's exactly where it states it is. It's almost for us the simplest muscle to understand because it states where it is. It is in the floor of the pelvis. Um, so the pelvis being made up of different bones, which is sort of like a circular structure. And at the bottom in the pelvic outlet is basically a hole and the pelvic floor makes the floor of that, the base of that. It's made up of lots of different little muscles that all have great names like bulbar spongiosis, ischiocavernosis and all really funny names. Um, but essentially we just call it the pelvic floor. Um, and together they have such an important role. Um, so obviously a lot of the time we think about it as like, okay, it stops you wetting yourself on the trampoline or things like that. Or, um, But really if you think about motherhood, so it's keeping you know, it essentially supports the weight of your baby and obviously all your organs and everything else during that time. Um, it does keep us continent, but of wind and uh, bowels, um, sorry, so of poo and of wee, so really important. It provides sexual pleasure. It actually works with other muscles around the pelvis and the spine to give stability. So really, really important roles, but um, it can be just so on because we can't visualize it. And I always recommend to women like Google pelvic floor and actually see where it is. Cause I think actually once you can visualize a muscle, it's very easy with a bicep, isn't it? Cause you can actually see your bicep. If you can actually visualize where those muscles are, it can just make it so much easier. And it also makes you realize, okay, I know why those muscles are important during motherhood and well for life because of where they are and what their role is. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And it's, it's such a shame we can't see them. It'd be so much oh, easier yeah, if we could see them. If our, if our sort of pelvises were transparent, it would, <laughs> it would be really helpful. Yeah. So we all know that we should be doing our pelvic floor exercises, Claire. And I think I probably speak for many women when I confess <laughs> that I don't do them regularly and I'm very aware that I don't do them enough. Yeah. <laughs> so how should yeah. we actually be doing them? Because like you say, when you can't see the muscle, I know how to contract my bicep, but when yeah. you can't see them it is more tricky absolutely so the best cue that we kind of currently understand from research is that most women find if you think about holding in wind so focusing on the contraction around the back passage that can often bring the the best contraction of the pelvic floor now obviously not everyone fits that model but we often start with that advice um because ultimately that's what most women find it should be should be helpful and a lot of the musculature actually sits around the back passage so a lot of the cues used to be think about stopping a wee or stop doing a wee on the toilet um, now we've moved away from that because actually if we do it on the toilet when we're doing a wee and we kind of stop uh, the flow constantly it can actually lead to the bladder not emptying properly which could then lead to like urine infections so it's a lovely test and actually if you're not sure one how to do your pelvic floor what it should feel like or if yours is doing its job you can always try and stop a wee um, mid-flow. However, don't routinely do your pelvic floor there as probably used to be advised in, I'd say, sort of mother's generations and grandmother's generations. Um, so yeah, what we're recommending at the minute is, yeah, think about holding wind and letting go. Now, obviously that sounds pretty simple, but actually unless you can really get in tune with that it can still be quite challenging and a lot of things that we would often do is sort of use our bottom muscles use our tummy muscles use our leg muscles because I think the thing is we think it should be this massive contraction because again if you think about like an arm you're like oh yeah that feels like a really big movement I can generate loads of power with it and and that's what we're kind of aiming for but often with the pelvic floor less is more <laughs> so just actually when women come to me in clinic and I'm like no you're doing it they're like that's it I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's all you've got to do. Hold the wind and then let it go. And making sure that the let go is happening. 
Um, because actually sometimes we can be, and often we're just like, do your pelvic floor squeezes. And so women are like, right, I've just got to squeeze, 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 squeeze. And then we've kind of moved away from actually remembering that muscles in order to be healthy also need to let go. <laughs> so there's no point of just focusing on squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. You need to have a big squeeze and a bit like big let go. Um, so that's how we should be doing them. Um, it always sounds simple. We do think around 50% of women do them wrong, unfortunately, because of, for all the matters that we've sort of discussed. Um, but I always say, you know, other things that you can do at home to sort of check is you can look for yourself. So I always say this doesn't always come naturally to us, but getting a mirror and having a look at your vulva. And what you should see is the back passage should basically tighten and move away from the mirror and lift a bit. And you also sort of see the, the vaginal entrance sort of closing as well. Um, so have a little look at that. Some women might put their finger just inside the vagina and you should sort of feel a tightening, a lift of, of the pelvic floor happening. So those are options that you can try at home. Um, obviously, if you're really, really struggling and you're symptomatic, that is where a pelvic floor physio does come in um, because we obviously can check it for you. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how we recommend it at home. Amazing. And I suppose, is it sort of similar to that if we're working another muscle, we might do kind of a certain amount of repetitions? Is that kind yeah. of the same, same kind of setup with our pelvic floor? Absolutely. And it just depends kind of why we're doing pelvic floor. So really, pelvic floor exercises, like any other form of exercise, should be something that is lifelong. It, it is always talked about in that kind of motherhood, pregnancy, postpartum period. But it shouldn't then just be dropped off. Lots of women are like, well, when can I stop them? I'm like, well, you don't really stop them. Because actually in the same way, if you stop doing other body exercises, your muscles wouldn't be as strong. They wouldn't look the way you want them to. Obviously, the pelvic floor doesn't have an aesthetic goal. So they kind of sometimes it doesn't feel as appealing to do them. But obviously, there's lots of other things that it does. Um, so if we're not symptomatic of... Um, so in the pregnancy and postpartum period, what we generally recommend from what we kind of currently understand, or if you're sort of symptomatic at any other point in your life of pelvic floor dysfunction, so prolapse, incontinence, other general things that we'll talk about as women then we recommend that you're doing two different, there's two different types of pelvic floor, which sort of complicate it a bit, I guess. So one sort of, we sort of, we call them quick. It's not actually about speed, but it's just the fact that you're not holding the contraction. So you're thinking hold wind, fully let go, take a really lovely deep breath in, and then you'd repeat that hold wind and then let go. So no holds and you'll do 10. Then you do the hold wind. So the same contraction, but you're just aiming to try and hold it for like 10 seconds. And again, the key thing there that is that you breathe in and out. So you're holding the contraction whilst you breathe in and out. And the really reason for that is because the diaphragm and the pelvic floor have a really close relationship. They're, so they're like opposing muscles. And in the body, muscles work together in like a little team. Um, and that's the same with the kind of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So as the diaphragm goes down, so does the pelvic floor. And it sort of works like that. Um, Julie Weeb, who's a, a, a physio who's done a lot of work, calls it like a bit of a piston. So it kind of goes up and down together. So... What we want to be able to do is hold the pelvic floor against the breath, moving up and down, and then you let go after 10 seconds. Now, if you can't do 10 seconds initially, which I'd say is really quite difficult, <laughs> don't panic. I'm trying um, now. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's hard. <laughs> exactly. I'm still working up to 10 seconds postnatally because I'm like, oh, gosh, this feels like a dirty. Uh, but yeah, you're aiming for 10 seconds and then doing 10 of those in a row. And then you're going to do that three times a day. So 10 quick, 10 long three times a day which sounds like quite a lot and I'm I'll be honest I'm really struggling to fit that in and just remembering to do it and um, the other thing that's key to talk about is the position that you do them in 
So if you're starting out on your pelvic floor journey and you've never done them before, we'd often advise try them in side lying in, in, in bed or anywhere really because it's the easiest and you'll find that you can engage them the best. Then you kind of move into more upright positions like sitting and that's lovely when you're postnatal to do it with feeding because if you associate it with something you're doing for the baby, it's far more likely to happen in your day. Um, and then what we want to get used to doing all of them in standing because and this is often a bit that I think we miss out when it comes to pelvic floor work or rehabilitation. None of us, I say none of us, most of us are not symptomatic when we're lying down or sitting down with pelvic floor symptoms of incontinence or prolapse. Most of the time, it's when we're upright, when we're active, when we've been lifting the kids, when we've been going for a run, all those sort of things. Now, if we're not training our pelvic floor for those things, we can't expect them to meet the demands. So that's what I'd say is if you're doing pelvic floor and you're either thinking they're not getting me better or this is just getting a bit easy, move into standing and try and do as many as possible in standing. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm not symptomatic and I'm actually not in that initial pregnancy postpartum period, if you're thinking about you just want to do a bit of a maintenance thing, you'd obviously train slightly differently and you're just thinking about doing a few of each every day. Um, but yeah, it depends kind of on like where you are in your journey. But I'd say probably most of us don't do what we're recommended to do <laughs> ever. And actually, um, that's completely natural. And it can be really hard to fit it in in the same way that as during motherhood and pregnancy, fitting in any workout is really quite difficult. Um, I'm a big fan of seeing that rehabilitation phase of actually moving pelvic floor into training as well. And that's where like loads of pre and postnatal trainers are amazing at kind of cueing the pelvic floor through movement. Because um, actually, again, we need that pelvic floor to respond to what we're doing. Um, and yeah, and we're kind of moving away now from the kind of fear that movement is bad for the pelvic floor and impact is bad for the pelvic floor. And actually, it's not bad for it, but it needs to be able to meet those demands. So things like running, jumping, all that sort of stuff. As long as the pelvic floor can meet that demands, or we need to encourage it to meet the demands. Um, and that's where I guess my job comes in to help when they get to that place. Um, but yeah, sorry, long answer to... No, <laughs> no, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. So when we, we're doing these um, 10 quick ones and then 10 yeah. where, we, where we hold all kind of quick and that we're not holding, yeah. is that kind of to train the, the kind of two different types of muscle fibre? Is that the purpose of that, that yeah. movement? Absolutely. So yeah, so in every, uh, all our kind of uh, muscles in the body, we have... Um, fast twitch and slow twitch so fast twitch being those kind of quick sprinting fibers that kind of kick in if we cough sneeze and laugh and then your slow twitch fibers that kind of work all the time they're kind of like more marathon running fibers and they kind of work on that sort of holding picture of like supporting baby holding pelvic organs that sort of thing um, and we need both of them uh, to work and it can just be there yeah and some of us um you know our, our muscles aren't quick enough to respond and things like that so it's it kind of how we train them but that's why we want to yeah spot on get that balance of both Amazing. That's really useful to know. And then if we, so for women that are much better than myself at, at doing their <laughs> pelvic floor exercises, is there kind of too much of a good thing? Can we overdo our pelvic floors? Yeah, so we can. Some of us will have a kind of a tighter pelvic floor potentially um, and that can happen for lots of reasons it's not just if you've been doing too many or you've been working too hard um, essentially if we, yeah, we are only focused on that squeeze as I mentioned ultimately over time we're not getting that let go so when it comes to any muscle in the body you want strength but you also want it to be flexible so you want it to have a nice kind of range of movement in its in its in kind of letting go as well um, so women throughout life for whatever reason we might sit in one camp more than the other um 
And it's women who have a tight pelvic floor might have symptoms of, say, always had sex might have been always quite painful or using a tampon was either impossible or painful or smear tests were just not possible or really, really painful. Um, and so that may be something that you've just sort of thought, why am I like that? Or you may never have talked to anyone about that. Um, that no, I'm not, that's not the only reason, but it could be an indication that your pelvic floor is on the tighter side and so with someone if that came someone came to clinic with me or what I would advise is actually rather than focusing on the squeezing initially we actually want to do something that we would enable down training which would be a lot of like breath work learning to let the pelvic floor go sometimes doing kind of release work of the pelvic floor so thinking about like if you had really tight neck muscles you might go for like a massage you might massage those muscles you can actually do that with the pelvic floor as well which sounds a bit like bonkers at times um but really important to kind of help those pelvic floor let go as well and then we'd work on then building in that squeeze, but making sure we're maintaining that let go as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think the key message always, and actually, if I'm honest, I feel like, and, I, and this is not research-based, this is just very like clinical professional, and even talking with my colleagues, I think actually a lot of us can actually sit on that tighter spectrum more than we think. And actually the pelvic floor is highly responsive to emotional stress um, as well. And actually during very stressful times, and I know from connecting with women at the minute, you know, they're saying a lot of my pelvic floor symptoms are actually been coming back. Um, is that because they've not had as much time to do their pelvic floors or is actually we're just all quite stressed. We're not breathing particularly well. Uh, pelvic floors are actually getting a bit tighter. And actually, if we just let everything go, <laughs> um, we can actually then work towards our symptoms again. So, yeah, I think, I think, bef you know, before we always used to focus on it's everyone's weak. If you're symptomatic, you're weak. But actually, it's not true. And you can have incontinence and have a tight pelvic floor. And that's where getting that individualized help. That's why it doesn't work for us just to give women a leaflet about pelvic floor and say, crack on. Because actually, just because you have incontinence doesn't mean that your pelvic floor is weak or whether it's weak or it doesn't mean that it's like long and weak. <laughs> you know, it could be like quite tight, but not doing its job. So that's where you need that individualized assessment. And that's why it's in the NICE guidelines. Obviously, what we follow as clinicians, isn't it, for clinical practice? Yeah. We know that for incontinence and prolapse, you know, the recommendation now is if women have those symptoms, they should be referred to a pelvic health physiotherapist. Now, is that happening widely? Not yet. Um, and that's partly for many reasons. That's, you know, probably some always down to money but also there aren't enough pelvic health physios probably around to necessarily meet that demand um but that's why it's in the guidelines because the research is supportive of that individualized help um that so many women do need amazing yeah and your your roles as as um pelvic health and specialist women physiotherapists is just amazing and I think we're probably only scratching the surface with appreciating the, the kind of individualized work that you do because like you say you can't assess what someone's individual issue is and then start a treatment path that is appropriate if you haven't had that physical assessment completely and I think that's what a lot of women I work with do say you know as well like actually you can go through whole of pregnancy and no one even checks your pelvic floor no one checks your vulva no one even looks and then you're in birth and then suddenly everyone's looking and you're like but actually if maybe you'd understood more about your body in that run-up to birth you know obviously we don't have a study that supports that 100% like if everyone had seen a pelvic health physio what impact that have on that birth and you know preparing with perineal massage I mean it's a study that would be fascinating to do actually if we equipped women more in pregnancy would that make a difference to the birth who knows but I think empowerment and knowledge and understanding your body is just so key um I mean at all points in life but especially for for mums I think um during that time 
Yeah, definitely. I totally echo that, Claire, because like you say, there is no evidence and it would be an amazing study. And if anyone thinks yeah. of doing one, I'd love to be involved <laughs> because I think that yeah. power of of kind of prenatal education and understanding about our body, we do women such a huge injustice by not kind of getting that across. And your totally. pelvic floor and that, that relaxation that we talked about is essential for your baby to be born. You know, if totally. you can't relax that pelvic floor, your baby, your baby can't come out. It needs to, it needs to be able it to come through it. And like, you know, we, studies show that pelvic floor needs it lengthens by three times for that baby to come out i mean that's a huge amount of lengthening um it is amazing what it has to do and um yeah it's just a whole fascinating thing but i think even just women understanding why pelvic floor is important because i think we're not very good at that part of the education we're very good at saying pelvic floor is important um but understanding the whole role of the pelvic floor within that whole kind of peri uh, perinatal period is just so key. And it can just feel like another thing on the list. <laughs> and I get, and it's quite boring. Like I find them boring. I find it hard to remind myself to do them. But um, I think once you really fully hold as to why, like I used to teach antenatal classes and women would be like, oh, here we go, pelvic floor chat. But afterwards they're like, oh, thank you. I really understand it now. And I was like, yeah, you know, actually once we understand something generally, it makes it much more approachable and manageable. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, antenatal education is fascinating, isn't it? And actually everyone's antenatal education is different and kind of how they're accessing that. Um, but I also think the role of a pelvic health physio, as you say, is just being understood more. And I think that's partly uh, has been a responsibility on our part to be like, hello, we exist. <laughs> um, obviously having more research to back up what we do, uh, because that's essential when it comes to doing anything clinical guidelines wise um and then I think yeah I mean I think the social media has been brilliant for that and I know when I started using social media like a few years ago there weren't loads especially within the UK there weren't loads of pelvic health physios kind of using social media and I always used a bit, a bit frustrated being like oh we just don't have a voice because actually we're not doing it and that's kind of part of the reason I've decided to kind of do social media is like we need to be out there saying we exist because then women will understand, other clinicians will understand. You know, most GPs don't even know we exist, you know, which is fascinating. But ultimately, no, no wonder, because actually we haven't, it hasn't been such a big thing within physiotherapy. You know, it's, it's, it's a massively growing area and we're understanding more and more. We now treat men, we now treat children. You know, it's, it's vastly growing more than just like, okay, it's important for that perinatal period. It's important for life. And I think so much is changing. And I'm really excited because I think by the time like, my kids are having babies I think the, the, the outlet will be so different and um hopefully <laughs> hopefully there's hope there's hope <laughs> to yeah. keep chatting about it <laughs> you just mentioned there Claire about um men's pelvic floor and I know this is yes. probably our audience is largely <laughs> female based but does the kind of technique is that the same for men as for women essentially yeah the pelvic floor is very similar obviously with some clear differences yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um essentially uh yes it's very similar holding wind uh, the studies around um kind of what's the best cue for men is sometimes slightly different like one study showed that actually thinking and this is obviously a concept as a woman i don't really understand but think about actually like trying to shorten the penis or so you're kind of drawing it in can work for some men better but again when i work with men they're all different um and a lot of men can actually have problems with a tighter pelvic floor as well i actually see a lot of men with sort of pelvic pain testicular pain erectile function disorders as well so I think the thing is as women we have a role in supporting men in that because we think we're bad at getting help for our pelvic health men it's even harder and 
the knowledge of men's health support is even worse. <laughs> so we have a lot more work to do in that area. But yeah, I think as women, if we can understand more about how we can support men in that field, then even better. Definitely. So maybe we should all be doing our pelvic floors at home in couples. <laughs> exactly. Men, they're always like, oh, I get off. I'm like, you never get off. No, no. we all have <laughs> teamwork. <laughs> Teamwork. That's it. That's going to be everyone's homework. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I guess when we talk about our pelvic floor, maybe rather than referring to it as kind of weak or tight, we should think of it as like dysfunctional, so that we're yeah. kind of kind of covering both both of those groups. So, what yeah. kind of signs might there be that our pelvic floor is either too weak, too tight, or just dysfunctional for us? Yeah. So yeah. So I so, say so pelvic floor dysfunction is that big umbrella term for lots of things. So. What might we experience? We may experience urinary incontinence, and that might be if we cough, sneeze, and laugh, or if we really need a wee and we can't make it to the bathroom on time. It also might be that you're not leaking urine, but you might just be more urgent or need to go more frequently. So you may not be leaking, but that's still an, a symptom. And it's not just your pelvic floor, it's relationship with bladder and bowel and other things that are going on, but pelvic floor obviously have a role within that. Prolapse being the one that uh, we often fear a lot. So prolapse being the kind of descent of any of the pelvic organs. So that being bladder, bowel, uh, womb, so cervix with that, um, small bowel, urethra, which is the tube that brings the wee out of the blood. So any of those things can kind of drop into the vagina. At any point in life, obviously one big risk factor being childbirth and pregnancy. Um, but yeah, so you might have symptoms of a heaviness or a dragging, or sometimes women express it like you've tried to put a tampon in, but it just doesn't sit high enough. That sort of rubbing sensation that women might experience with that, that can sometimes be the case. But women can have a prolapse and no symptoms as well. So it's important to say not everyone is symptomatic of that. Um, you could be incontinent of feces, so poo, or you might be more urgent for a poo. I know lots of women suffer with that after baby um, or wind incontinence. So again, I had a baby and you're now like, I just can't hold wind in the way I used to. Um, and then we move to that sort of pain picture. So as we say, sort of sexual pain or, you know, smears and tampon use that we've talked about. Or it can also just be generalized pelvic pain um as well so um things that so we call that sort of vulvodynia um as well so that's kind of just pain of the vulval area um so yeah it's fast and also we'll treat a lot of women who have sort of vulval skin conditions which often doesn't get any kind of talk about so if you have vulval eczema so some women who have eczema elsewhere on their body because the skin of the vulva is extension of the rest of our skin you know it's not like a separate bit um you can get eczema of the vulva tissues and that can again be linked with painful sex as well but often I'd find that's really missed again you can get vulval psoriasis there's lots of other vulval skin conditions as well so um when it comes to pelvic health it, yeah and pelvic floor dysfunction it is vast and actually also it's important to remember that what's going on at your tummy also has a relationship at your pelvic floor as well so um yeah really when we're called pelvic health physios you often think we're just focusing on the pelvic floor but I think actually we're moving further away from the pelvic floor and thinking what else is going on to influence the pelvic floor because the body is a team um and then yeah um obviously the pelvic floor being a key part of that but so many things that uh, you could be experiencing that would come under that kind of umbrella term 
And I guess where our bodies are so kind of interconnected, a weakness in, for example, our core muscles can then have that knock-on effect to our pelvic floor and vice versa, can't it? So it makes sense that actually you're encompassing all of these totally. different structures. And Absolutely. You can't just look at one muscle in the body and treat it in isolation. Um, we have to look at it, um, you know, with the other muscles in different positions, you know, working out why you're symptomatic, when you're symptomatic and stuff like that. And and that's, again, as I say, it's, that's why it's more than a leaflet because all of those things it's just far more complicated and um yeah but but so treatable as well which is I think often not understood and um not widely known as well yeah that's so true because I think Claire there's lo- there's so many women out there that will find that when they jump on a trampoline or they cough they leak urine and they just yes. think that that's normal and inevitable yeah. because of their life but actually I'm right in thinking that's not no, absolutely. We shouldn't be, you know, if we're having any signs and symptoms, that is a sign that our body is not working in the same way. And I think if you had, I would say this, you know, if you went for a run and you had pain in your knee, would you carry on without any help? Maybe some of us would, but I think a lot of us, because when it's like pain, you kind of, you're forced not to do it. Whereas because to some extent you can put a pad in and you can crack on we just use that as like a plaster and we just think, okay, well that will resolve that issue for me for now. Obviously I'm leaking still, but you know, I'm I'm not going to have wet trousers. So fine. No one will really know, but actually it's still your body communicating with you. It's just a different form of communication, Uh, but yeah, we shouldn't be leaking urine. In fact, at any point in life that should not be happening. That is a sign the pelvic floor is not meeting the demands that we are putting on it and we need to support it to be able to do that. I think a lot of the problem is because there's been this sort of narrative of like, well, if you're leaking, then we just need to stop doing those things. Or, you know, impact is just, you know, I think a lot of women are afraid that if they go to seek help, they're just going to be told not to run anymore. And they're going to be told they just can't do those things anymore. And for a lot of us, like running, exercise is such an important part of who we are, our identity, our mental health, that actually the fear of that being taken away from us naturally, well, you don't want that. So why would you go and, you know, access, um, that is then when someone might tell and I think as physios we can sometimes be seen as the fun police who are just going to be like uh-uh stop all that stuff because that's just really bad for you it's actually what we're really trying to say now is like no we want it we want you to have even more fun doing the things you want to do we want you to enjoy it even more and not be symptomatic um and I hope that's kind of message will keep getting out there though unfortunately that's going to take time you know because ultimately when I think again Dr Google what a nightmare you know you put in your symptoms and you're convinced that you're going to be having surgery tomorrow and I think it's important to also touch on um you know the, the challenge and, and and the awful experiences that women have had with the mesh surgery and was it two weeks ago the Cumberledge report came out I feel like weeks are merging in my life so I'm not sure when <laughs> a couple of weeks ago um you know the report came out and expressing you know, the real horrendous things that women have had through not everyone though but some women have had through this kind of you're having mess surgery for prolapse or for stress incontinence and so you're then googling thinking oh gosh I'm going to have a surgery that's potentially going to debilitate me for life and and again so and a really key part of that has come out is that the role of the pelvic health physio for the women who've had the surgery and are living with pelvic pain but also this push towards we have got to change this for the next generation Um, and some of the summaries of that report were like you know, we really need to consider taking on the French role of postnatal care, which is that every woman gets like 10 sessions. I think it's 10 sessions with a pelvic health physio to look at their pelvic floor health and their just general well-being. Um, you know, we need to consider as the NHS to take that on because actually 
we need to be proactive. It's great to think, okay, fine, 30, 40 years, women hit menopause and you can do a surgery. But actually, if we just looked after women when they had those babies, what change would that have? Again, research, we need to do more. But I think we can understand the prevention nature of this. And I think it's really important that we do step up and make a change now. Um, yeah, because it's we need to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, and, and hopefully, Claire, that that is a potential positive that comes out of the awful stuff I think with, so. the, with the mesh for women because if we yes. if we had that support for postnatal women because I know oh. it's 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 absolutely Very dismal hard. the the pelvic support that they get afterwards so having that as a package of care would be absolutely amazing oh I know um, and I'd love for us to be able to offer that I know I'd absolutely love it and I think you know the main thing and the message to women is that change I think will come and there are lots of things happening behind the scenes with NHS England to bring about these changes but again with all of these things there's so many parts of the picture and actually at the minute we don't have enough pelvic health physios to meet all the births that are happening so you know any physios out there we need more pelvic health come physios on, yeah. you know and I think it's often seen as like not a particularly appealing area you know I think we all came out of uni thinking that we were going to be massaging rugby players and obviously pelvic health ain't that you know yeah. um, I, I was that person I ended up in pelvic floor it just happened to be my first job and I thought oh no like the job that no one wants to do and I've absolutely fallen in love with it it's the most amazing area I think of physiotherapy obviously I'm biased but you know I think we need we need to inspire this next generation to come up because we have a lot of women to care for yeah definitely definitely and and it's so so important and so valuable to women for the rest of their lives it's it's amazing so just heading back to kind of childbirth and um pelvic health so perineal tearing we know it affects sort of 85 to 90 percent of women who have a vaginal birth does that kind of impact your your pelvic floor health more so than perhaps someone that didn't have any tearing so yes essentially uh, so when it comes to tearing, there's four four grades, as you will know very well. Um, <laughs> but you know, the first involving generally the skin around the vulval area. Um, now that could be a lab- uh, one of your you know labia, that could be around towards the clitoris, that could just be part of the perineal skin. But it's the skin. Some. I'd say, I mean, it's up to you. Some will get stitched. Most will be left to kind of heal themselves. It depends on where it is and how big it is and all that sort of stuff. But when we move on to the second degree tear onwards, so secondary care tear is when the pelvic floor muscles start to be involved. And so they need suturing to essentially, if there was a tear in a muscle, you bring it back together to help it to heal. And when we come to third and fourth degree tears, that involves the anus as well, which is obviously feels terrifying, understandably, but it is a small percentage. So first time mums is about 6%. Subsequent birth we think it's around two to three percent um not that makes anyone feel better if you're in that six percent you still feel like well like I'm still in the freaking six percent so thanks for that but it's not many but I'm still <laughs> one of them um so yeah any time and if you think again it's sometimes helpful to step away from the pelvic floor and think about another muscle group you know I say to him if that was your quad in your leg so your quadricep metal the front of your leg if you tore that muscle what would be your approach you would need it to heal um we then need to strengthen it and rehabilitate it before we go back to what we were doing before and i think that is the big pit of the message that gets we just say okay it's going to take about six weeks to heal and then you're healed but we don't think about actually whenever you have pain swelling um, restrictions in a muscle it massively impacts their strength um, and that needs rehabilitation um, and that's unfortunately i guess uh, the biggest chunk of the picture that i think we're missing at the minute and i think again we can tell women to do their pelvic floor exercises brilliant so that's a very key starting point but actually when you've got scarring within a muscle actually that can cause restriction um and 
so sometimes what you'll have with the pelvic floor is that one side is very free and happy to move, but the other side, if there's quite an extensive amount of scar tissue, it's just struggling to move. And actually, again, if you, so women who may have done perineal massage before pregnancy, actually, if you massage that tissue yourself, um, that can actually help to kind of release some of that tension and allow the pelvic floor to work. And I think that's a, a big part of my role with women who come to me. Like, I've been doing pelvic floor for six months. I'm still struggling. I'm still leaking. I'm still, et cetera. And often when we actually release and let go some of that area, of tension and, and sort of scarring it actually again really helps their symptoms so um yeah it will absolutely have an impact on your pelvic floor health and i think the other key message is that even if you don't have tears it's still important because i know lots of women say you know they might message me but i've only had a first degree tear or i've had no tearing you know, do I still need to do it? Yes, because again, when the baby comes out, if it's lengthening by three times, that's an awful amount of stretch. Um, and that pelvic floor pregnancy really impacts the pelvic floor the most because that's like nine, 10 months of extra weight on it. So it's always important, but obviously if you've had tearing, even more important. But I think with first degree tears, and I've been thinking about this more, you know, actually anytime there's a tear, even if it's in the skin, not the muscle, skin being on top of a muscle, you know, if that's that's torn, there's going to be, and you've stitched that back, there's going to be some scar tissue around that's connected to the muscle. It does still has an impact. So it's, it's easy to think like, oh, well, it doesn't really affect me because my muscles haven't been torn. Brilliant. But still has an impact for sure. I love that tip of the massaging player. I'm definitely so, going to pass that on because I've not heard yeah. of that before, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and we I never guess, tell women about it. No, and I, I'm guilty. Like I've never suggested that to any postnatal yeah. women, but I definitely will. And I think that kind of links into us just getting more familiar with our own bodies. Totally. Um, and not being scared to look at the perineum during the yes. healing process. Yes. And then doing that massage, that's amazing. I love that. I'll definitely, yeah. definitely take that away. And, yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Improve my practice. That's amazing. <laughs> so then I, I suppose you, you've kind of answered my one of my questions that was um, women who've had a cesarean section. So presumably they've been through that pregnancy. They may or may not have gone through that labor, but yes. the pelvic floor for them is still really important because it'll have been weakened through their pregnancy journey. Absolutely. And I think the other thing with cesarean, again, you've got, you've got to think you've got a new scar in the body, which obviously sits very low down just above the pubic bone. Now, again, we've talked a little about, about relationship with muscles and connective tissue. You know, the pelvic floor has a relationship with that connective tissue. It's just above it. Um, and actually, sometimes women who've had cesarean scar, uh, sections uh, may then go on to experience some actual tightness within the pelvic floor. Um, and then they might find sex painful. And they're like, why is sex painful? Because the baby didn't come out of there and I've had no tearing down there or and that can just be because of dryness if you're breastfeeding um, and hormonal changes but it can actually be related to the scar and so c-section scar massage is also really important and something i'm super passionate about and i've shared quite a lot about on social media and videos of me doing it on people's tummy because again you don't need to go and see a physio to do this stuff you can do this stuff at home but again we're not educating women with it um so yeah absolutely find a video try and do it yourself um and and yeah c-section scars massage is also really really important amazing yeah, and i've seen some of your um section massage videos <laughs> and they are amazing and claire's um claire's social media will be linked on the bio of this podcast so definitely definitely go and yeah, check that out definitely and then i suppose the other thing claire that's maybe maybe a misconception or maybe there's truth in it but as as we age as women is it mm -hmm. kind of inevitable that our pelvic floor gets more dysfunctional and we have to start putting up with some of these symptoms is that just an inevitable part of aging can we prevent it 
we can absolutely prevent it. And I think prevention is definitely better than cure. And another thing that came out of that Cumberland report was that we need to work on prevention. It is much better than cure. Um, so I think definitely, obviously, as we age and as women, we specifically, we hit menopause, we have a hormonal shift so that estrogen drops off. That has a huge impact on our tissues, multiple tissues. So our bone density our muscle strength and our muscle mass and and you know we all know those things that menopausal women talk about you know the sagging of the skin and just generally finding it harder to lose weight and and you know all those uh, and and our muscles just not being as strong all those sort of things change so yes there are inevitable things that are happening but that doesn't mean that we therefore have to just accept things and actually again if we looked after ourselves through our 30s 40s 50s into the menopause period actually what a difference we'd have hitting that time um, so yes because there's hormonal shifts that affect all of our muscles that will have an impact on our pelvic floor and sometimes for women they may have been absolutely fine after having babies they've gone through their baby um you know childbearing years and they hit menopause and suddenly they have symptoms now often menopause gets all the bad rap but actually probably some of those things have been grumbling away <laughs> for the for the years but your pelvic floor and the strength and and the hormonal factors have just been helping you not be symptomatic and then when we start taking those things away you become symptomatic um of prolapse or incontinence so yeah absolutely be proactive do your pelvic floor throughout um and then you know it, it sets you really well up from the menopause when those inevitable things do happen but actually if we look after ourselves before that point it, it it sort of loosens the blow of those changes i love that so we're kind of like building building the foundations now aren't we for for that kind of future health it's really important. yeah because menopause is such a hard time isn't it i mean it gets such a bad rap and for good reason it's really 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 horrible and difficult experiences for a lot of women um but again if we were just supporting women I think often we go into blinkers and we're like, we'll just deal with that then. <laughs> Let's not think about it. It's yeah, not now. Yeah. Um, but actually, if we just think, okay, so it is going to happen. How can I enter that time as well as possible? And I think bone density is a key thing for us to talk about. And it is something that concerns me because I think when we get those postnatal mums who are avoiding all impact or strength training, weightlifting, because of their pelvic floor symptoms, we are naturally having an impact on bone health because we know for bone health and bone density, we need strength uh, training, we need weightlifting, we need impact. Um, and so I do worry that if we're stopping women doing that, and I did a, a talk recently and I asked the, the audience, I was like, you know, what exercise are you doing? And most of them were doing Pilates. I love Pilates, so I'm not anti it. Um, swimming, nothing kind of loading and weight bearing and a lot of them was because they're afraid of their pelvic floor health and their symptoms and I think crikey we really need to deal with that as well because actually again you know when it comes to osteoporosis or osteopenia in that menopausal time are we actually seeing more of that because we're not helping women get back to impact exercise again I don't know I have nothing to prove that but I think we can all kind of think with common sense that is probably happening yeah um, for sure and that's what I think that investment in that postnatal period is just so multifactorial and we're actually supporting women with so many things that we're spending money on with for women in menopause and actually if we just thought it to you know looked after them a bit more maybe we'll make those changes yeah, that's that's a really good point, Claire, actually. And if, if someone is, I don't know, they're a runner or they're a weightlifter, something that's kind of weight-bearing, if they're yeah. having symptoms currently doing those movements, yes. would your advice be to carry on and do their pelvic floor alongside or to pause yeah. while they build those kind of foundations? Yeah, so it's really tricky, but the general advice would be, like, if, if what you're doing is causing you symptoms, we want to take a pause, not say stop it completely, so 
let's talk about running, for example. If you find that the first 25 minutes of your run, you're asymptomatic, and it's only when you hit, you're like, oh, by the end of my run, I then league. Okay, that's a sign that maybe your pelvic floor is just can only handle with that much stress, or you find that you only leak when going downhill rather than uphill, and things like that, which sometimes women can experience. We need to just modify those factors of it. So we wouldn't say stop all running, but we'd say let's work within your symptom-free window. And then as we're doing your pelvic floor rehabilitation, we keep pushing you on, pushing you on so that you then become symptom-free and you're what's causing your symptoms. And again, with weights, you might just go for slightly lighter weight and build up, build up, or, uh, you know, maybe less reps, things like that. So this is where individual health is so essential. But yeah, I wouldn't say stop everything, but it's finding out where your symptoms lie whilst you're waiting maybe to receive that help. Um, but yeah, don't give up everything if you, if you don't need to. But obviously if the first you know, you're just running down your street and that causes you to leak um, again. Or it might be that you need a run walk program to start with. And actually, because I think a lot of women, you know, they get to that six week mark and they're like, great, I can crack on again. But actually, we now think, and there were some brilliant guidelines written by some lovely friends of mine. Uh, so Gronya Donnelly, Emma Brockwell and uh, Tom Gunn as well, who's a, a, a kind of musculoskeletal physio. And they were looking at actually what is the worst thing my body gone through and what actually should it be able to kind of take? Really, we think running earliest is around three months. Most women probably closer to the six month point with good rehabilitation. And again, it's more than just pelvic floor strength. It's what else is going on around that whole pelvic area. Um, so yeah, we think that actually, and then a run walk program being probably best for a lot of us anyway to build in that impact again. So I think sometimes it's just how we approach the impact and the running rather than it itself um yeah sure no that's that's amazing so i think people are really scared that when they start to speak up that'll be it it'll be like you can't do all those oh, things that you know. enjoy but actually your role is making sure you can do those things and you can enjoy yes. them even more even because more. you're not leaking and having these yeah, symptoms exactly now claire i feel like we have to touch on these devices and yes. please enlighten me are they yes. some of them look terrifying some of them are really <laughs> expensive are yes. they kind of a marketing dream or do they have a kind of purpose do they work I suppose mm, really important so when we come to pelvic floor devices again you'll see them everywhere they sit in generally two camps so we have stimulation devices which are basically a probe which goes with inside the vagina and it works on stimulating the muscles so it's sort of similar to those kind of ab trainers that you sometimes see sold on the tv that basically contract the muscles for you and then suddenly you're going to have an impact a six-pack I mean brilliant lovely um, <laughs> if only they worked <laughs> if only exactly I won't be signing up for one um, but yeah if you you basically similar so you put the device in the, in the vagina and it contracts your pelvic floor for you so that's stimulation devices and then you have biofeedback devices which are basically they don't do the work for you but they pick up what you are doing and give you a visual feedback so that comes in different forms some it's like a little uh, box that maybe has lights that go up and down some sync with your phone and uh, there's lots of different things some have like vibration and essentially the reason is, as we've talked about, you can't see the muscle yourself. It's sometimes hard to kind of engage with what it's doing. And it gives you that feedback. So that's what we call biofeedback. Now, essentially, they are not an essential part for every single woman. So don't go rushing out to buy one if you're suddenly like, oh, no, I'm leaking. I must go and buy a device. And again, we come back to guidelines when it comes to any clinical practice. Both the nice guidelines for incontinence and prolapse state that they should not be first line, but they should be assessed for an individual, whether it's appropriate. So again, what I often say, and I'm not against devices, they do have a role within pelvic floor health rehabilitation. And as physios, we do recommend them, we do use them. Um, 
but often if you look at the price for a lot of them, they would be the same price as seeing a pelvic health physio privately. But for some reason, sometimes it feels easier to invest in that gadget rather than go and see an individual. So I would say to women, you know, if you're thinking about that, just weigh it up, like actually seeing an individual who's going to tell me what's the state of my pelvic floor would actually be far more beneficial to you than a device potentially. Um, and then as a physio, we might say, you know, stimulation devices are really good for women who have like no pelvic floor contraction, nothing going on. So we want to get that muscle working again before we then you know wean you off that and get you doing it yourself because that's the ultimate goal is you doing it yourself without any device um the biofeedback devices do often have a role for women who maybe as we say they're doing it but they can't really feel it motivation adherence to doing the exercises so sometimes women are like you know what i just keep forgetting if i have a device i can put in and i have that kind of protected time a bit like a personal training session or you know your own workout session you're more likely to do it great you know some women that is just the role or some women just who are like i cannot access pelvic health physio for whatever reason whether it's location affordability uh, whatever that might be they think actually getting a device that does give me some feedback is really helpful for me so there are definitely reasons why women would use them but we don't all need to go out rush and buy one straight away um we just need to consider the role with that for an individual Amazing. That's really good advice. Because like you say, I do think that sometimes women just think that's what I need. Or I've had a baby, I must get a device. But actually having that knowledge and that underpinning understanding can be much more, much more valuable, especially in the long run. So Claire, for for pelvic health physiotherapists, the women who feel that actually this would be a really beneficial route for them, are you just generally private or are there NHS based um, pelvic health physios as well? Yeah, no, there's an extensive network on the NHS. So at the minute, how it sits is obviously if you're symptomatic of and that. uh, So in pregnancy, think about kind of why we're talking about this on this podcast, pregnancy being maybe you've got pelvic girdle pain, back pain, hand and wrist pain, neck pain, whatever that might be, that a pelvic health physician can help you with that. And you can access that generally via your midwife or GPs sometimes obviously a lot of women don't actually see their GP in pregnancy anymore so often I say you know it'd be your midwife would be your first port of call um or if you're having any leakage or symptoms of uh, urinary incontinence fecal incontinence or prolapse in pregnancy and then when we think about postpartum again symptoms of any form of incontinence of urine or feces or wind prolapse symptoms pain like when you've returned to sex things like that that is all accessible on the NHS when you're symptomatic now as much as I say it's accessible sometimes the journey to reaching that is quite challenging um, and that's partly due to awareness of services um, as I say knowledge understanding of guidelines finances funding pathways it's different across the uk everywhere and so sometimes if you say see your gp and you say i'm leaking urine sometimes all that gp can do is refer you into gynecology as a you know to the medical side of things and then you'd see a doctor who would then say listen the best port of call for you is physiotherapy some gps are able to directly refer to physiotherapy and other places you can actually self-refer into physiotherapy sometimes into a class for light incontinence and then if you're still having symptoms ongoing then once you've had lots of education then you'd go and see someone face to face so it really depends on where you are but the nhs yes there is extensive availability again obviously in current climates as we mentioned during a pandemic uh, services are opening up face to face a lot of it's gone to kind of telehealth but it is available um but obviously depends on where you are I think over so into the rest of the year they're all opening up more and then yes there is loads of women uh, sorry pelvic health physios now working um privately 
Um, and the best way to access that and find out who's in your local area is if you go, if you Google Squeezy app directory. So there is the Squeezy app that you can get on your phone, which reminds you it's an NHS app. It's two ninety nine. It reminds you to do your pelvic floor. It sort of pings you, uh, reminders the whole time, and then walks you through it. But there's a directory online which basically look most pelvic health private physios are now listed. Those NHS are also listed on there. So I often say to women, if you're struggling to access NHS route you could look up your local NHS physio and on the directory, it states often how the referral can happen as well. So I often say, you know, if you're struggling with your GP, maybe take that information with you and just have a discussion with them and be like, listen, I've heard about pelvic health physio. This is what I understand is available in this area because I, you know, my husband's a GP. I know their day-to-day life, how many services they have to have the awareness of. I don't think they're going to be annoyed if actually you bring a bit of proactive um, information and, and they may not be able to deal with it straight away, but then they might prompt them to think, okay, I'm to look into this so that can be helpful if you look but then on the director you can see all the private health physios um, in your area um, and then you might link in with one that way um, and sometimes it's just a one-off that you think I can only afford a one-off we totally understand that if that's something that you want to do just to kind of get a check postnatally see where you're at um, and then the other big thing we also deal with is um, diastasis so diastasis recti separation of the abdominal muscles um, is also a big part of kind of what we do again access on the NHS is possible can be a little bit more challenging uh, but is available amazing so for any women out there who have got symptoms I think the kind of take home from us is that you don't need to suffer with them and that your role is just invaluable and so to use your voice and get out there and start seeing somebody yeah now Claire anyone that comes on I always ask for some top tips (laughs) (laughs) so just just to throw it out there what would be your kind of three top tips for any pregnant or postpartum mums regardless of time frames um, with regards to their pelvic floor house yes I think being proactive would always be my number one you know it's very easy when we're not symptomatic even if that's you've been doing them and you've you were symptomatic then you become asymptomatic we then like oh I just stop it now just be proactive think about all the things that we've discussed and why they're beneficial for life um and just keep working on it keep working on your pelvic health would be my kind of first one I think secondly I'd say trust your instincts and actually if something doesn't feel right the likelihood is that it isn't and you may not understand why it doesn't feel right and you kind of don't settle even if someone tells you because I hear a lot of like well you've had a baby you know that's kind of what happens now and I'm like no 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 no. we've got to move away from that narrative it is wrong um and you know I'm not saying that pelvic health physio will cure every single woman because it's just not true that's why surgery is often sometimes needed but if you haven't tried you know we need to try first to be kind of help that conservative management so trust your instincts you might have to fight to get the help but do keep advocating for yourself and yet never suffer in silence because all these things they're hard to talk about it can be really embarrassing and I get so many women say I'm so embarrassed to say this to you you must never have heard this before I'm like I've heard everything you know don't worry as medical professionals as you know we've seen everything we've heard everything nothing shocks us just come even if it's difficult write it down you know whatever it might be just come and 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 just talk about those things because often once we talk about them it becomes much more manageable and um and then we can access that help however is i guess most possible financially yeah. and practically as well definitely 
that's you know as a mum it can be so think oh well, I can't do anything because of the baby and I've got to take you know I've, I've treated so many women breastfeeding <laughs> baby I've had the baby in the sling myself you know we want to make it accessible so don't worry if you've got no childcare, no support bring the baby we'll make it work obviously I know in current climate it's so much more challenging always around but there's a lot of virtual help as well at the minute uh, so if you're feeling like you don't feel confident enough to go out to a clinic you know do try and access it online um, because just getting that journey and knowing you're not alone is such a big part of the recovery process um so yeah amazing claire thank you so much because oh, like you said with, no it's it's amazing because like you said when you know you know you're not alone is that actually so many women are affected by by these mm-hmm. symptoms and it doesn't yeah. need to be that way so yeah. please please to all our, our women listening that have got symptoms and um, please get get some help and support Definitely. because it is out there yeah massively so so thank you so much Claire for sharing all your knowledge and experience and helping to raise awareness I suppose on both pelvic floor health and also your role as a pelvic health physio and how important that is to us Mm, and um and we shall all be doing our pelvic floor exercises this evening (laughs) yeah exactly we'll all remember today if no other day yeah (laughs) thank you so much for your time Claire and for joining me my pleasure thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration or details on our bespoke antenatal education, head over to my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.